Hello, folks. Welcome to Holding On with Holder, where I talk with interesting people about interesting topics. My name is Steve Holder, and I am your host. My guest today is Paul Lafferty, who is a very talented author, ex-bouncer, DJ, and bodyguard. He lives in Ontario, Canada. Welcome to my show, Paul. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on. Glad to have you. So for those who don't know anything about you, give us a little about your background. Who are you? Uh, you know what? Everybody, yeah, whatever. Uh, just a regular guy. I got really lucky, had great parents. Uh, you know, we're married almost 50 years before my dad passed away. Always had my dad home at night. Dad was a truck driver. My mom was a school teacher. Two brothers and a sister. Uh, average kid. You know, you did this, you did that. You chased girls around. Uh, and not really any plan for anything else. Uh, by the time I started with 17, 18, uh, the two big hobbies were lifting weights and uh, going to karate. Uh, after high school, you know, didn't want to get a job. So <laughs> I went to university, uh, you know, hung out there for a couple of years, got the degree and finished up. And then uh, my mom, of all people, it'll be funny for some of the younger people listening to this, when you actually had to go through the want ads to find a job, circled the job in the newspaper for me, left it on the table saying the, the local strip club's looking for bouncers, which, you know, today, you know, you wouldn't tell your kid to go get a job at a strip club, but it didn't seem to be that big a deal then. And, uh, yeah, it turned into a 20 years off and on, uh, doing pretty well every job there was to do there, starting as a doorman, running a couple of the clubs, learning how to DJ. I even ran the kitchen in one of them. Uh, you know, some of the other entertainers coming in, being their, you know, bodyguard for the night. It's not as glamorous as it sounds, but, uh, you know, made really good money at one time and just kind of stuck with it. And then got to the point where I said, you know, got to call this a day. It's been long enough. I literally thought it was going to be six months to maybe a year. And it lasted. I started when I was 25 and I finished up the last club I was at when I was 48. So wow. it was a while. It was a while. <laughs> had a career out of that, didn't you? You know what? There, I got really lucky. Uh, the... It didn't work out too well for them in the end, but the the, the one club that I was with at one time, uh, I had I wore all the different hats. Like I said, I started as a doorman, then I was a DJ, and I did this and I did that. And the at least at that time, the doorman or the, sorry, the owner paid a fairly decent wage. And my thing was always, you know, if I'm going to go in and do these different things, <clears throat> excuse me, I expect to get paid for them. And there was a time when the money was really great. You know, I bought the house that I'm sitting in now with that money. You know. Uh, the lady I was with, involved with at the time, you know, bought me a motorcycle one year for Christmas. So we weren't, you know, exactly starving. But the problem is, you know, you're 34, 35, 36, and you wake up and, you know, is this what I'm going to do forever? Uh, you know, a lot of guys, substance issues, uh, you know, even worse things than that, going to jail, whatever. I, you know, I was no saint, but I didn't fall into any of that stuff. And then it was just time to go. Yeah. So what's the worst part about being a bouncer? Do you get into a lot of fights? I got really lucky. I was the first one to tell people I was not the toughest guy on the staff. I never was. I was never the biggest guy on the staff. Uh, by the time I was at the last club that I did the majority of my time with, uh, some guys that are still very good friends of mine today, you know, I can name drop them right now. Eric Straitman's, uh, Jason Brown were just the kind of guys that weren't going to back down when we had a fight. Uh, and you know, it's, it's paramount when you're doing that kind of job that you have a couple of those guys and I'll readily admit, I was never the first guy to, to jump in, 
there was times when it was like, oh, dude, but you got a little clique of guys and, you know, you just have to know that uh, they're going to be there to help. And these, yeah. you know, solid, good guys. And again, still talk to you today. Still, you know, if it was, if it was five guys, if it was 20 guys, they had no problem backing everything up. The last couple of jobs I got once I left you in the strip clubs were again, not to brag, but based on that whole deal, I had a couple of friends who ran other clubs who said, you know, I know he'll come in and he'll do the job. So so many guys want to tell you how tough they are, but uh, my big thing is always, you know, everybody's tough till you get punched in the face. And then, you know, we usually never see them again. <laughs> I got to go, I got to go to my car for a second. They never come back. Yeah. Not the easiest thing in the world to do. Yeah. That is probably nothing like the movie Roadhouse, right? You know what? Greatest movie of all time, but no. <laughs> seen that it a million a times. Movie. That was a great Seen movie. it a million times. The movies are great. You know, Sam Elliott's a god in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't he happen. Was like man, that. He was a man. It never happens like that. And just even the the level of violence. I mean, there were some pretty crazy things. I got hit by a car once. Uh, you know, a couple of the other guys had some serious injuries. Uh but the other thing, too, was, you know, just the older I got, I just wasn't going to do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, I was involved with someone who, you know, we were living together and everything was good. And it was one of the last jobs I did a couple of years ago. Uh, in one night, the club that I was working at it wasn't a strip club. It was a dance club. Somebody walked into the bar right next door and shot six people. Then somebody shot, drove by the strip club that's a couple miles from our house and sprayed the door. And then somebody else got shot in another bar downtown. And for whatever reason, just luck on my part, I, I decided to take uh, that weekend off. And when I got up the next day, just, you know, a look of doom on her face. Wow, wow, what I do, what I do, what I She told me the whole story and just said, you know, I don't want you to go back to work. And uh, I never went back to work. By that time, I was already teaching. I, I'd already started to, the, the book was on the way. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's crazy what you get used to when you say, oh, yeah, it's not that big a deal. And then, she hadn't, we hadn't been together when the crazier stuff happened. And then when I started, you know, you sit down and you start writing stuff down and you start telling people, she was like, come on, you're making this up. And I'm like, no, if anything, I'm toning it down, <laughs> trying to not have the really crazy things out there. But, you know, you're, you're 25, 26, 27, you think you're bulletproof. Yeah. Everybody does. I don't, yeah. I don't care what any of them say. Yeah. Maybe us a little more crazily, but yeah, you're 24, 25, you don't think anything's ever going to hurt you. Yeah. yeah expected to do crazy stuff when you're in your teenager and your 20s you know you know you throw you throw in the fact that I, the last boss paid extremely well and uh again you know paid extremely well and we were surrounded by naked women so what you're not going to want to leave where you want to go you don't want to go anywhere i, I didn't want to go anywhere i you know and people you know it was such a hellhole it was so terrible there were some pretty crazy moments but it was fun and again some of those guys i still talk to you know on, on at least a weekly basis yeah. guys that call at christmas call on your birthday and stuff and you know i should i have stayed that long probably not but it turned out okay yeah well let's talk about books i know sure you, you are a writer and i'm a writer we should get along just fine all right so uh, basically what I, basically what i did is i uh was always one of those guys who wrote things down and i'm sure almost every writer followed the same trajectory uh, depending on what age group you were, you know, I wrote Batman stories and I wrote Star Wars stories. You're basically just rewriting other people's stuff. And then I tried to do a couple of different things over the years <clears throat> and always putting ideas down. And then when things were coming to a close at the club, 
uh, we'd run into a, a whole bunch of different guys who were coming down. Unfortunately, long story, my boss went through a bankruptcy and a whole bunch of other people came in to uh, kind of oversee everything. And uh, Niagara Falls is a town of maybe 75,000 people. So these guys were, you know, from Toronto, from Vancouver. They just came in like we were all a bunch of hicks, right? They, we had no idea what we were doing. They were just going to tell us what it was. And they were just amazed how things ran down. And, you know, we kept telling them all the time, like, you know, Tennessee, you know, Vancouver, where it is, like every town's got their own little rhythm. Like, you, you know, we know how to do this. And then the one guy said, you know what, you should be writing this down somewhere. And it just it started from there and it flowed and it flowed and came out as a book. So there's a lot of real experiences in the book. I've, I've tried to mix it a little bit. I mean, the crazier stuff for the people who do read it. You know, I don't want people to think I'm a drug dealer. Or I killed anybody. I never did any of that stuff. You've got to make it nuttier for the book. But the, the main character is loosely based on me as somebody who stayed, somebody who stayed too long and they've got an opportunity to get out. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I don't want to say that I wrote a classic, but like any good movie or any good plot, you know, the door's right there, but you got to get to that door. <laughs> and then that's basically what, what the book revolves around. And yeah. he's also, I'd like to think, a character that is uh, uh, just prone to never doing the right thing. So that doesn't really help his case as he's going along. So, you know, that's it. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun putting some things in there. And the biggest comments that have come out from everybody, and I always joke with everybody, I've had people read a couple scenes and say, you know, I remember having that conversation before. And then saying, no, no, I changed it enough that, you know, that's it. And Or people will come up and say one of two things. People are just totally annoyed that they know that a character is based on them. Or they're totally annoyed that I didn't bother putting them in the book. So yeah. you can't win can't win. I know. You know what I mean? Yeah, just, it, that's totally about me. Yeah. You should have heard some of the crap I put up with when I wrote my autobiography. One of my well, see now there's me. a there's a much bigger case because now yeah. you're telling the truth. Yeah. One I, of my I, sisters gave me a real hard time. <laughs> <about that>. You <laughs> know. Originally what happened was I'd written kind of my version of the truth or what I think is my version of the truth. And I wanted to get three or four other guys together. And, you know, you tell your side, you tell your side, you tell your side. And it never just turned out that way. So I kept writing all these ideas down. I started putting them aside somewhere. And uh, I, I can't remember if it was Facebook or through somewhere else. I got a hold of a very well-known Canadian crime author named Jerry Langton. Uh, he's now based out of New York. And a couple of ideas in this and that. And he wasn't dismissive, but he was like, yeah, okay, you know, we'll see what happens. And then once I started giving him the bigger ideas, he said, you know, you've got to write this. And I, you know, I don't know what to do. I just, whatever. And just, he walked me through the process and, you know, five, six months later, there was a book. I'm like, oh, really? That's how you do it. I, yeah. <clears throat> everybody has their own method. I can't say I didn't think about it, but, you know, all these tortured writers with 12 charts and everybody's got to have a character arc. I, I had no idea what that stuff was. I just had a pretty good idea what I wanted to talk about. We went from there. I take some writing courses in college, but my the way I write is nothing like that. There well, you know, no now, obviously you being from the, the end of, you know, I, I'd like to think you being from Tennessee, that's got to have a bit of a flavor in your writing, no? Or the, uh, the, the background? Yeah, I write, I write a lot about my real life. You know, I'm a, there's a little bit of me in every character. Okay. But, you know, I really I'm, wanted to, because again, people see people see Niagara Falls and they, and they you know, they see the water. And <clears throat> the last 20 years or so, they see the casinos. Uh, and whenever you see 
you know, whenever you read a big book, you know, it, it's set down south or it's set in New York or it's set in L.A. I wanted somebody to be able to read this and say, oh, man, we drove right by that. If you ever see a TV show about Niagara Falls, like maybe you see the water, maybe you see the casino. I really wanted people to say, hey, you know, now I know what he's talking about. Obviously, there were some places I had to change because I didn't want to get in any trouble or yeah. have anybody come after me and say, you know, you shouldn't have said that. But I just, I, you know, it, it, again, it might sound a little arrogant. I wanted the town to be a city in the book. Whenever you read about New York, you know, anyone who's a big reader, you know, you know where the Bronx is. You've never been to the Bronx before. You know, you know when they're in Manhattan. Uh, you know, New Orleans. You know when they're going to Mardi Gras and all that stuff. It, it, nothing I've ever experienced, but you've read about it. And that, that's what I want to do with this. Yeah. It, it, it didn't make it, it didn't make sense to me to tell you know, even a fictional story without trying to get the flavor of the town. Yeah. So we're talking about your most recent book. It is called Down the Lane. Is that correct? Yes, that's the one. Uh, it came out July 2019. I just had it re-released by Crossroads Press. Uh, we cleaned it up a little bit. We didn't really change too much, but we took some things out. Now, uh, the second one's almost done, but excuse me. <laughs> with COVID and everything and trying to work on the side, I'd like to get the second one out by the summer. I've got an idea Everybody says they want a trilogy, but I've got a story I think that runs through three books. And then what we're really hoping is it's a long shot, but if if they pick up enough and they do as well as this first one's done, I keep getting told from everybody, you know, for a, for a first time book, it's done really well. If I can carry that out, then maybe there's a thought of telling a little more of the true story. But again, I don't know. I don't know if anybody would be interested and I don't know, you know, I'd be probably annoying a lot of people by saying some things I shouldn't say. Well, I read the free sample that you have online today, and it was really interesting. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Like you said, it's just a, another friend of mine, a guy that worked with us forever named Paul Mitchell, uh, nailed it on the head years ago. We, you know, we had our own way of doing things. And it was, you know, uh, I always think of the line in Goodfellas when they say, you know, there was never any outsiders. There was just, there was those guys and there was the family and that was it. You didn't go to anybody else. You know, everybody went to each other's houses. Everybody worked. You know, anybody who wanted to get ahead was working six, seven days a week. You know, it wasn't. And he he finally said the one day, you know, when, as I started writing this, said, you know, it wasn't a job. It was a lifestyle. You know, you knew you weren't getting home till five, four or five in the morning. You know, you knew you were probably getting punched in the head. You know, you knew the girl that you were with probably wasn't going to be your girlfriend for too long because she was going to go find somebody else or she thought your life was too crazy. Again, I, I would never put it down. It gave me lots of opportunities, but. When you go back and look through the things now, it's like, holy shit, I did all that. So yeah. not for everybody. We had quite a few guys that would come in or they would see the fight or they would see things that were structured and just flat out tell, I can't do this. Yeah. And then now you always go, oh, you know, it must have been like this. It must have been like that. I said, you know, again, youth and just, you know, being paid a decent wage will make you do some stupid things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I look back on some of the things I did in my younger days and I think, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, even you, live as, you get older, you know? <laughs> as you get older and you get to know your parents or your grandparents and you hear stories and by that time, you, you know, you see them and you go, no way. But yeah, I'd like to think everybody's got these stories. I just, I have a few more than everybody else, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they tend to come out when you write. Um, so how many books have you written now? This isn't your first. This is the first one that's out. The okay. second one's almost done. Uh, for some reason, I was really happy with the way I was doing the second one. I've got, I've got the starting, I've got the middle, I've got the end. I'm just missing that little part to tie everything together. So there is a third one that has started. 
Uh, I'd like to keep going on with this. I'd like to do some uh, nonfiction crime. But again, you know, you get into, uh, you know, some, some big research areas. I'm a teacher during the day. At the same time that I went back to write, I went back to school to get a teaching degree. And I'm pretty happy doing that. I would never say I wouldn't write bigger books. But, I, you know, I don't know. When you see some of the research that people go into doing things, I don't know. I, maybe I stay with the fiction. Yeah. I mean, I tend to write for me. And that's why I don't make much money at it. I don't write for an audience. I write for me. You this know? is a big argument. This story, like you said, flowed out of me because it's something that A, I lived, and B, you know, I've been putting down these ideas for years on napkins, on other stuff, on other guys' stories, on other things that have happened. Uh, I just, I, you know, the, the old, I hate to rely on the cliches, but, you know, write what you know. I can't write about being in a hospital. I don't know anything about what people do in a hospital. I don't know what, it, I've never worked in an office. I don't know what anybody does in an office. Yeah. And the idea of writing for yourself is great. It's just that, you know, there seems to be this big split now with social media that you're either writing for yourself or you're purposely writing some piece of trash that you know everybody's going to buy. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't made a lot of money with this thing, but it's been fun. I bet, you know, I'm sitting here talking to some guy from Tennessee right now. Yeah, I wouldn't have been doing this a couple of years ago. Would I like to see it elevate and go on? Yeah, but this whole, you know, tortured artist shit, I, 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 I have any need for that. Some of these, you know, everybody's got to, you got to explain your character 30 times and I, I, that's, I don't know. The, the, the woe is me thing that just, it's not, not think all writers are eccentric. Yeah, well, definitely eccentric. I've got my, uh, I've got my quirks like everybody else do, but there's a, uh, there's a Twitter group that we were trying to put together. A couple of people would been talking for the last little bit, common goals and stuff. I said, why don't we get on there and just everybody start doing, you know, just talking about stuff. And if you want to buy the book, buy the book. And if you don't want to buy the book, then move on. And it lasted for a couple hours this afternoon. I, I've sold quite a few books again. Yeah. And, you know, again, people saying, I can't believe you did this. I you can't believe you, know, you did that. Or you start talking about something and saying, you know, one guy flat out said, you know, I thought you were going to be some goon. I'm like, well, hey, thanks for telling me that. But uh, there's, there's definitely some, you know, some quirks and quirks here going on with people. But, you know, hey, I to want to point your guts out there, I think just for anybody takes a lot of guts. So do you write every day? I, I, you know what? Again, the first one flowed out of me. It was great. We had some things we had to put it aside that we went and did the editing. I'm trying to do a little bit every day, but now with the teaching in school, that takes up some of my time. The second one, again, was going great, but I just, maybe it goes against conventional wisdom. I just, you know, if, if a, a company was giving me $200,000 to write the book, maybe I'd have to be a little more strict about it. But again, kind of what you were saying, writing for myself, there were nights where, you know, I drove, I must've drove Jerry crazy because I sent him four or five chapters and then you sent him nothing for two weeks and then boom, the middle of the night, four or five chapters. So I don't know the whole, what do they call that now? Uh, book. No, no, no. Uh, 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 planning or pantsing or whatever. I'm definitely a pants guy. I'm flying by the seat of my pants <laughs> to sit down and have a big chart. And this is what I got to do. Like if I get it done great, but just, pounding your head with it i just i don't know that I, I i just don't see how that benefits anyone yeah see I, have you I tried to stay a couple hours every day yourself i don't, I don't even use a, an outline anymore i mean i i can't even stick with an outline i just go with it i start there's a page and see where it goes you know and pick up the there's book. a woman who uh, lives one town over from me uh, named Teresa jacobs who writes fantastic fantastic books and when i read the one uh it was about a serial killer 
uh, we met up online. We traded each other's books. It was really, it was super well done. So I had some questions and she just kept saying, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you don't know. She, again, she fantastic books. So there's got to be something inside her that lets her do this. Mm. Right. Because again, you know, one of the old, old cliches, everybody's got, everybody's got at least one book in them. Well, she's had very many well done books in there. Yeah. And that level, I personally, I don't know if I could do it to have to write this because it was so well known to me makes sense, but to not have any planning for that at all, like that, I, I don't know if you can teach someone that. Yeah. That's definitely something she's, that's just in her. And I, I, with the practice and the editing, it gets better. So I try and tell my kids in school all the time, like, <clears throat> you know, I can tell when you wrote it five minutes before you came to school. I can tell if you took a little bit of time. I can tell if your mom wrote it for you. There's a big difference there, but I, I don't know. I, I really, I think, I think a lot of it is innate. Yeah. You know, all the crazy stuff that Stephen King came up with. I can't see that anybody taught him that. I'm sure the books got better as the years went on, but I don't know. I, it's a really good question. Yeah. He's definitely done some good stuff. Oh, they, I, and personally, not to put him down, but, you know, success beyond success yeah. i'm not a huge personal fan but obviously you know the work because it's become so big yeah right and to to do that not once not twice not three to do it repeatedly and then to do it under a pseudonym and to do it uh for a movie and to do it for a a, a miniseries yeah i come I, I don't think anybody can teach you that yeah you can make it better you can refine it you can have people help you but you know i don't i to be and again i sound like i'm making it up and i'm not I don't know a lot about him. Was he a guy who went to school a lot when it came to that, or he's just always been a writer? I don't know. <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't want to, you know, uh -huh. I, always, I always find it so condescending when people, uh -huh. oh, I don't know who that guy is. I, I definitely know who Stephen King is. Uh -huh. But again, it, it's my view. I mean, obviously things have gotten better. He might be more comfortable with it, but, you know, I don't think anybody taught him that. That's just him. But, you know, there's lots of authors that have written numerous books and they just keep putting them out just like breathing, you know. David yeah, Patterson, you know, for I, example. I, again, to be that prolific is it, it, a skill in itself. Yeah. You know, in the old days when you had the guys who did the pulp novels, uh, I, I can't remember what show I was watching, but it's trying to do a little research. Some of those guys were banging out a book a week. Yeah. You know, now obviously, you know, it wasn't Shakespeare, but that's still got to be a skill in itself. You know, you two, three hundred well, pages, whatever it is. These people yeah. have a formula, you know. They, exactly. And they I, have you a know, formula. How much, it's like they fill in the blanks, you know. It's how much of that is doing formula and how much of it is saying, this yeah. is what I want to tell you. Yeah, yeah. Change the names in the background, you know. Oh, yeah. They, anyway, maybe you can do that with your series. Maybe you can have a 10 hit wonder or 20 who knows i've got enough i've got enough ideas to definitely fill these three i had the arc in my mind from the beginning i thought it was going to be one and then i sat down and i had uh someone help me plan it out her I, some of her ideas i said oh yeah and it was good to see from an outside view because she wasn't someone who would work with me um but yeah you know i like i said i'd like to try other things but for this again you know stick with what you know yeah you give it a run and you see what happens so what advice would you give to new authors or wannabe authors? Again, you know what? It's funny. Uh, knock on wood, a little bit of success with the book. It just got republished, so it's out again. Uh, just write the damn thing. You know what I mean? People, I just, that whole angst and the woe is me, I don't get it. If you have to go back and rewrite it, if you have to edit it, if you have to do it, 
<clears throat> three or four times. I understand that, but they just you got to put it on the page. Yeah. Uh, I watched a big thing last month with uh, Francis Ford Coppola uh, when they were doing The Godfather and everything. They said, you know, Mario Puzo drove him crazy because they kept coming back and rewriting. He said, you know, just give it to me and we'll leave it there and then we'll go back and fix it. Now, obviously, some people can't do that, but, uh, you know, if you're planning that much, are you really getting anything done? And yeah, maybe that's just me. Maybe some people have to plan. Yeah. You know, start writing that idea, your idea about your vampire or your hockey team or whatever it is, and you know, see what happens. Yeah. Now, I read somewhere that Ernest Hemingway wrote 500 words per day. That was it, 500 words. That's not a lot. <laughs> but then again, you know, the poor guy blew his head off because he couldn't write anymore. Yeah. So maybe that maybe that's not a <laughs> maybe it's not a great example for us to use either. Probably not. Yeah, you're right. They said he was so racked near the end that he could uh was it Kennedy? It was Kennedy or Eisenhower? Can't remember the time frame, but he couldn't even write him a congratulations for becoming president. Really? And this is a guy who was, you know, considered such not only a, a literary genius, but a, a product product of his time yeah. that he couldn't even write a congratulations now. He wrote like how he drank like how much that man yeah. had played with his head, just torn him apart. Yeah, he drank himself to death, didn't he? He did, but they just that was you know near the end they said it was, and again it could be Hollywood crap that they're making up, but just to even put down little outlines or put down what he just he couldn't do it anymore. Mm. You know, I mean he was larger than life to start with, but that must have you know been crippling yeah. to not be able to do even that smallest detail near the end. Yeah. Yeah. So do you read a lot, Paul? Uh, quite a bit. Again, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a classics guy, but if I could turn the computer around, there's two bookcases here. There's two ones out there. I love uh, true crime. I like crime fiction. Uh, I like the history, the background of, you know, how the organized crime went, you know, if it's a triad, if it's the yeah. mafia. I, I don't think I'm an expert on any of them, but I like the, uh, just the, the politics of how everything's put together. And we were talking before the camera came on, uh, a lot of writers look their nose down on it. Always been a huge wrestling fan. Not even so much as what's in the ring, but the politics to what comes into the ring. And then you read the background stories from these guys. Like, they're nuts. You know, there's no two ways around it. The, what, what considered normal backstage behavior at a wrestling show in the 80s you know, would get you arrested immediately now. And, and you know, to, to hear, well, no, that's how we did things. It's like, really? Like, how is everybody not dead? Yeah. And it did, I've, I've always found... Maybe not the product, but what's behind it is always interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to write a little bit about it. And what's that? The backstory. The whole backstory. I tried to write a little bit in this book saying how, you know, all these guys, everything's all glamorous and everything is this and everything is that. Well, by the end of, by the end of mine, even though it's fiction, things don't turn out very well. Yeah. Right. And a lot of the wrestling ones, you know what I mean? Some of these guys that were, you know, 42, 44, they're already dead or they're crippled or they got a plant, you know, you got two plastic knees. Like, I, there could have, there must have been a safer way to do that stuff. Yeah. And I just always, you know, what led you to that decision, and what led other people around you to say, "Ah, he's fine, let him go do it." Somebody had to know it was wrong. Yeah. You know, they, they had to know that oh, this isn't going to be good. Yeah. So, do you think reading a lot helps writing? I've seen that comment online too. I just, I personally don't see how you could write that much without being at least a half decent reader. Yeah. I always had my book in a nose or my nose in a book. Sorry. My mom did a lot of reading. My father always had his nose in a book, both brothers, my sister. Again, I've got maybe a quarter of what my father had 
uh, he really, from his generation, he really liked the uh, the World War One and the World War Two novels, and all the background stuff. The battle with DF, whatever raid they were going through, the uh, what they call the, 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 those big old time life books, where you got it, them all. They, they, it would do. It would do as, what's that? Historians. Uh, there, there's a big timeline series we had when we were we were kids, and they were in depth and huge in the background. Like one book would, you know, just on the Battle of the Bulge, or you know, one on you know Hitler's, you know, why Hitler, uh, why everything was falling apart with Russia near the end. And I found it fascinating. I read them as a kid, but he kind of liked that stuff. But he also a lot of fiction, so there's always something different in the house to read. And I just always really enjoyed it. Yeah. Again, I think that you know, there's no doubt that it can help you. I don't think you have to be you know, a very prolific reader to be able to write, but it's got to give you a better understanding to be able to read that stuff all the time. Yeah, and you get ideas, you know, you get ideas. Hey, totally, you know what, it just the whole, this is, you know, to try and do the second one, to try and do everything else, it just, there's nothing new out there. Yeah. Music, wrestling. Exactly. Maybe. You know, history, whatever you want to call it, it's all been done. And, yeah. you know, you want to try and put your spin on it, but even then, you, that's not easy either. Somebody yeah. somewhere has had the... And I never heard of it before. I felt so uneducated for a guy who went to school. When Jerry Langton helped me do this, he sent me the, is it seven or eight? There's only seven or eight stories in the whole world. Have you ever heard of that list before? I've had that. No, I don't and, I was, and, and you read it and you're like, how come nobody ever told me about this? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, God, I feel like a moron. And he's like, you've never seen that before. And I'm like, no. So again, you know, I like my wrestling books. I like my fiction. I like Things a little crazy, but that just that opened my eyes. So, oh my do, god! Like, do you have a favorite book of all time? You know what? It's going to sound like a cliche. I I read The Godfather a thousand times when I was a kid. Because it was a, it was a totally different world. It was also, you know, something that I'm I'm writing about now. But it was it was a bygone era, and it was yeah. even by then it was you know it was romanticizing something that probably never really happened. Yeah. And we find this out more, you know, with everything now with the, with our with our sports heroes, with with our historical heroes, you know, that guy was kind of a jerk when you go back and read about him. And yeah. I just, I was always fascinated by that book. The background, even, you know, between the characters, you know, you knew what you could get away with with this guy. You knew what was expected of you here. It just, you know, I just always thought it was great. Yeah. Do you remember the big hit that Alex Haley had with uh, Roots? Oh, yeah. You know, he had the mini series come out yeah. about his yeah. book. And then later on, it was discovered that a lot of it was a lot. All crap. <laughs> All crap. I, I, I'm just old enough to remember that. But I would have been about seven or eight. And I remember it didn't matter whose house you went to for those couple of Sundays. You know, your grandparents, no, we're watching Roots. And then again, to find that out later on, that not was it, you know, they didn't skew the details a little bit. They they made a lot of stuff up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, it the only thing that I don't like about now is that it seems to have gone too far the other way. There's no accepted belief for anything. Everything has to have a conspiracy. You know, I always use the Kennedy example. Like, guy's been dead for 60 years. Now we're never going to find out what happened. Yeah. Right? But it just, you know, no one ever gets fired or never, no one ever goes away. Now there's too many rules explaining it. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of ruins, ruins it for everybody else. I don't, you know, there's not very many people historically that stand up to today's standards. You know, he was a slave owner. Oh, he was racist. I'm not defending any of that, but you know, some of these people weren't very nice people. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's well, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's hard to see it in in today's lens. Yeah. But uh, again, you know, 
maybe uh, there's so much we just didn't understand that. Yeah. You know. So do your uh, friends and family members read your books? Uh, quite a few. My mom and dad are gone. Uh, I think my dad would have been, I think my mom would have been a little shocked. I think my dad would have been pretty proud of it. There's actually a, a section in there was kind of tribute to him. Uh, my dad was just, you know, I revered him. He was always the guy who seemed to do the right thing and still always have time to go grab a beer later on. Uh, he was a great father. I, you know, we, you won't hear any tales of woe in my book about dad not being home or, you know, dad hitting you in the back of the head. None of that stuff happened. He was, you know, what he said went, it could be a little harsh sometimes, but yeah. there was way more good times than there was that kind of thing. And yeah. uh, I, I would have liked to have had them read it, but some of the comments that I've got from other family members, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's better than they did. So yeah. now the MC shirt you have on, is that a club you're in or? So ba no, basically what I did was, so I want the book to go on further. I want to be able to explain things. I, we started designing all the logos. The girlfriend of mine did most of these. And what we wanted to do was we want to have something that showed that stood out as something that would be identifable for the club. So she had the t-shirts made. And what we wanted to do was put it all in different areas around this region. So if you were here, that you'd know what we were talking about. So we made some shirts and some odds and ends. Okay. Again, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, when Sons of Anarchy was on. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of people, is, a lot of people, is, uh, I loved it watched every episode it was so over the top and crazy but i loved it but i you know you heard all the time about some of these older bikers like taking it personally that you were wearing that kind of thing so we tried to change it just enough that i, I you know i don't need a whole bunch of guys knocking on my door because they saw me wear something but i also didn't think that i i could talk about a biker gang without having a symbol for them okay right if we were if we were if it was a movie about football you'd see a game you know they'd be playing football somewhere down the line yeah so we tried to put all that together and personalize it enough that it's a little bit different, but you know, okay. and hopefully somewhere down the line, like I said, I never had any expectations with this book. It hasn't sold a million copies, but I'm being told by a lot of people that it's done well for a, a you know, a first time book. Uh, maybe there's something else in all these stuff. Yeah. All the, you know, people with, you know, lesser ideas or smaller ideas have gone on to sell a bazillion shirts or a bazillion records. You never know. You never know. It's been fun. Like, you know, the wrestling shirts. Yeah. I had a minute to take the camera back there. You know, my Hulk Hogan shirt, my my Austin 316 shirt. I got a ton of those. And whoever thought, you know, Austin at one, you know, wrestling was always such a small market. Yeah. You know, by the time Austin rolled around, you saw those shirts everywhere. Yeah. You know, so whoever thought that that would, you know, it would be so big. So who knows? Yeah. And there's always somebody that doesn't know anything about wrestling says, who is that guy? <laughs> It got so big in that time period. I was just having this discussion with someone on the phone earlier, uh, someone who just doesn't care for wrestling. And I don't watch as much as I used to, but, you know, if there's a WrestleMania 4 or there's, uh, you know, the old NWA on for something, I'll watch it. I might not watch the new product anymore, but just say like that period, like 97, 98, 99, 2000, everybody knows who The Rock is. Yeah. Everybody knows who The Undertaker even like the Mick Foley one right away. Like I said, I was positive to see the top of your shirt that that's what you were wearing. You know, you might not have sat down and watched it, but it became such a big part of the culture. Everybody knew who they were. Yeah. You know, and those guys from any generation of that sport, maybe, you know, maybe you were a, a bouncer or somebody in a movie somewhere. Like, look at the heights those guys have climbed. You know, look at, they just, The Rock, they laughed at him in the beginning. It was going to be another Hogan. 
He's one of the biggest stars in the world. Yeah. It can happen. He's a big movie star now. Down there, were you watching a lot of NWA? You must have been. Oh, I did. I did, yeah. I grew up watching NWA. You were in the glory days down there. Yeah, absolutely. I discovered it here in 1988. Never really dug wrestling too much as a kid. Got into it. My brothers and I got into it. And the cartoony aspect and all that. And then uh, they started showing uh, WCW Saturday Night Down here. So that was my first ex exposure to Flair and Ricky Steamboat. Who are these guys? I, like, this is great. And then it was just hooked. Was hooked for years. Yeah. I remember the Monday Night War. Remember that? Yeah. WWF yeah. and uh, NWA or no WCW. Yeah. 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 We were so obsessive about it. We were just talking about this again today. We were so obsessive about it that, that some of the guys' girlfriends thought we were going out to do something. And you were going to see another girl, or maybe you were doing drugs, and we'd say, no, we're going to watch wrestling. And come on, you're not. And they'd come with us, and they'd just be shocked. And then we'd tell them, you know, taking it so seriously, like, don't talk while wrestling's on. Talk during the commercial. And then my one buddy was so over the top with it, he went and got one of those old-fashioned two-in-one TVs when the Monday Night War starts so we can watch both at the same time. Like, we, oh, yeah, we missed nothing. We missed nothing. You know what I mean? It's just, quiet, it's on. So you know, somebody will change the channel, put the football game on. No, 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 that's not what we're watching. Yeah. <laughs> so do you keep up with politics and current events? You know what? We're here in Canada. We've got a pretty moderate system. Uh, my original degree is in political science, so I understand it a bit. Uh, I don't know if it came up when you were doing a little bit of the research. I am American by birth, but I never lived there. I was born in New York. We moved here when I was little. I've always, even at a young age, been a political junkie, but there's no nice way to say it. You guys have had such a bizarre upside down time that there's no, you know, they've been saying it for years about the middle class, but now I think even more so politically, there's no middle at all. Nah. You're far to that left or you're far to that right. And where, and where people stand on that, that's totally your decision. Yeah. And that's fine. I've always thought I was a little close to the right, but the problem is what they're saying are conservative politics today don't identify with me. Yeah. I don't think by any means I'm a liberal by Canadian or American standards, but you know, I hate even bringing up his name, but what you guys had for the last four years should not be considered conservatism or a Republican. There's just no way. And in here. <laughs> <laughs> what, again, I don't want to turn into a Trump discussion, but have this argument with people all the time. I don't even think he's a man of moderate intelligence. No, he's not. He's not. Like the whole genius stuff, like that's all a bunch of crap. Yeah. But the, the longer he went on, I like, if you met him in a coffee shop, hey man, you know what? Shut up. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. And I, don't, I, I don't, you know, the only thing I can figure is, and again, not to put down Americans, I'm American by birth. Americans just want to see somebody buck the trend. And he's been doing that his whole life. He was born rich. You know, he had a huge advantage over everybody else, but the different things and the starlets and <coughs> excelling at something you shouldn't excel at. I don't know because the uh, we're very close to Buffalo, New York, Niagara Falls. So mm -hmm. I always I like the political talk radio, the talk radio during the day. So uh, it's always listening to it. When he was originally going to run for governor of New York about twelve years ago, both sides told him there's absolutely no chance. You will ever be uh, endorsed by either party that you'll get in. How did he leapfrog that and become president? Yeah. And the only thing I can figure is, you know, and I don't want to insult the intelligence of those voters. I mean, there's some questions to be asked there, but 
you know, I, you know, it, it's a goof. You're you're voting for something you shouldn't be voting for. I I just have a hard time believing that that many people believed in him. Yeah. That whole make, well, make America great. People have been saying that for a hundred years. It's never yeah. going back to the way it was. Yeah. Well, you know, right here in the area that I live in, it's a very red state. And there are most people in my part of East Tennessee worship the ground he walks on. Not and you know what? If that's what you want to do, fine. But you know what? Point to me one thing that he did. Point to me one uh, thing that he did to get there. Right. Point to me one thing. Yeah, you know, point to me one thing that he did to get there. Point to me one thing that he did while he was there. Point to me one thing that he did properly on the way out. Like he failed on all three on all three sides, as far as I'm concerned. And again, you know, we're in Canada, so I try not to talk about it. We don't exactly have a guy that uh, is a shining example of, uh, of statehood either. I don't know if you follow Canadian politics, but basically, the guy who's the prime minister now, his father was prime minister for pretty well all the '70s and the early '80s. So it's a very well-known fact that he was riding on his father's coattails. Yeah. But you, you see where they get the charisma. The very first school I was teaching at, we got the chance to meet him. And you could see, you know, where the glad handing and all that comes up. Now, are there deeper issues there? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't get to talk to him all that long. But it's just, it's such a glib manner now. Like, nobody's telling you anything. Yeah. Like, nobody's really, you know, this is what we're going to do. And I don't know. You know, when they, when they tried to put McCain up a couple of years ago, it just wasn't happening. It just, you know, he, it, he might as well have got dug up somebody from the 1920s. I, like I said, I have no problem with conservatism. I think I'm a little more conservative than I am liberal with my politics, but I, I don't know. Yeah. You guys are never going to have a third party. They've been, they've been avoiding that oh. for 200 years. Oh. <laughs> so I you got one for, or the other. I ran for U.S. Congress last year in my district. Oh, yeah? As an now, what was that experience like? Uh, it was it was horrible. I ran as an independent, and the Republicans and the Democrats just walked all over me. Man, I, at least with the independent thing, you don't have to look at either side, wow. right? Which some people might think is harder. Some people might think is easier. But to just nowadays, like the, the whole partisanship idea, that went out the door at least a generation ago. Wow. You can't side with anybody's idea if it's not from your side of the room. Yeah. Right. Whereas, you know, you hear all these things about FDR working with, you know, the, the, the Republicans back in the day with with even Kennedy having to say, OK, we got to make some backroom deals with these guys. I'm sure on some level it exists, but it's no it's no longer a political thing. It's a business thing. Yeah. Like the divide has been so big. It's just like, wow, oh, yeah. it's, it's you know, Rush Limbaugh passing away a couple of weeks ago. And what a what a great, uh, you know, patriot was. What a bunch of crap. He was a shop jock screaming on the radio for four hours a day. Yeah. A lot of people bought that stuff. Yeah. A lot of people bought it. Yeah, I, I don't know how they did it, but yeah. I'm sure you I'm sure being down south, you probably have it a lot worse. There's probably some right-wing conservative guy that drives you drives you nuts because you know everything he says is just garbage. I don't know. He's pretty much on top of that one, I think. He <laughs> <laughs> he, he owned that one. But, it was just, uh, you know what? You, you'd listen in the beginning. I remember listening to it when I was a kid. And you'd, you'd see the, the germ of an idea there that at least there was always, and, and again, I don't want to go back to wrestling, but always compare it to wrestling. When the bad guys did something or somebody said something, you could at least travel with their line of thought. It wasn't right, but you could see what they were doing. Yeah. By the end of the last, you know, 15 years that he was on the radio, he's, he's making stuff up. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's nothing, there's no fact-checking anymore. Books, 
What's that? He made millions of dollars making those things up. So somebody's watching it and somebody's paying attention to it. This is not, you know, none of these are marginal people where you're, you know, they're making a couple of bucks. He was a billionaire. His contract for, I can't remember, it was Sirius Radio, whatever one he was on. I don't know about now, like people have come and gone. For years, he was at the top of the market. Yeah. Nobody had a contract like him. So, you know, somebody's, somebody's listening to this stuff. Yeah. But, you know, are you listening to it for entertainment? Or are you listening to it for politics? Because it's two hugely different things. So how has COVID-19 affected you, your family? Have you, is anybody in your family? Uh, I, you know what happened with us? Uh, I was working at a, a small private school and most of the students are from China. So no, I don't want to say we caught on to it before everybody else, but we were a little more aware because the way our school year ran, they were just starting to come back here uh, as it was happening last year. So the worry was, do we let them come back? Do we not let them come back? Uh, you know, I'm 50 years old. I'm not young. I'm not old. I thought I was in pretty good shape. You know, things would be fine. Uh, you know, you don't take things too seriously. I tried to do a couple of the precautions and whatnot, but I was involved with a, with a woman who had some, uh, some of her own medical issues. And, you know, she made a really good point. She said, it's not so much about you getting sick. It's about you bringing something home and her getting sick or somebody else getting sick. Or, you know, this and that. So try a little harder to uh, to do the right things. But again, you know, you can't tell anybody to do anything anymore. Yeah. I was at the bank a couple of weeks ago and, you know, the guy just wouldn't put a mask on. And, you know, the security, he can't get any, he's yelling and screaming. And then, you, dude, they're not taking your life. They're not dragging you away to the army. Like, put the mask on or go home. You know, I, I, is it Texas now that's opening up everything? Yeah. One of the states is just saying, screw it, we're going. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe we've gotten past that point. Maybe Texas is going to have a huge spike in the next couple of months. What do you Texas think? Texas has always done things their way. You know? Oh, it, it, it's, it's inbred in the state. Yeah. But but the difference is, you know, doing things your way and doing things that are going to affect the majority of people. I, I don't know. There's just, there's a, just so much disinformation out there with everything. Yeah. No matter what your crazy view is, I find somebody's going to back it. And no matter how sane and clear your statement is, somebody's going to tell you you're wrong. Exactly. exactly. It's just, it's, it's pretty nuts. I don't, I never want to, I never want to be one of those guys in the center, but I find myself pushing myself more towards there. Just so I don't want to hear what either side is saying yeah. at all. Yeah. Sometimes I just feel like telling them all just to shut up. And hey, this is so crazy. Away. You know what I mean? Go away. I love the whole discourse idea. I love people coming over playing cards talking about stuff doing whatever but it's just it's so you know uh no punks on i can't remember the name of the band that did it but called shot by both sides you know it doesn't matter what side you're on you're getting yeah. you know what i mean standing in the middle now is no safer than than being in either one of the camps yeah yeah there was a time when minding your own business usually kept you out of trouble but that's not necessarily the case now that you know how many times did your mom and dad say you know don't worry about it. it's got nothing to do with you walk away well you I, it's getting so divisive now. I, we can't do that anymore. Yeah. And again, I'm talking from a, a country that's known to be a little quieter and a little more peaceful than you guys are. And there's great people in the U.S. Still have some family in New York, but uh, it's, it's getting pretty crazy, man. <laughs> pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, Paul, I have enjoyed talking to you, brother. It's been great, man. Anytime you want me to have back on, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this. The second book should be 
if I can uh, knock on my wood and keep it moving. Should be by the summer. I'd love to come back on anytime you want to have me. I will definitely have have you back on. No, Fantastic. No problem there, brother. Do you want to tell people your website or how they can? Uh, the best way to do it right now is I am mainly on Twitter under my full name. Uh, if they want to look it up, it's down the lane book, or you can go by my full name, which is Paul Lafferty. It'll pop up right away. Uh, the easiest way to get it is we have a link that goes right to uh, Amazon and, <clears throat> excuse me, Amazon in Canada and Amazon in the U.S. It is downthelanebook.com. Okay. You go right there. You can get it in Kindle. You can get it in paperback. Uh, Crossroads Publishing were very patient with me. Very good job of taking what I'd originally done and just clean it up a little bit, make it a little more presentable. Yeah. So this has given us another round of sales. And uh, also why I think I got a little lazy on another book. I want to concentrate on this one. There's a, there's a thought in the back of my mind for a while that if it's only going to be this book, then I want this one to look as nice as it can. Yeah. But yeah, downthelanebook.com. And then, you know, the usual stuff, like I said, Twitter, Facebook, I'm where, where everybody else is. Yeah. Well, I do know that there's about a million Paul Lafferty's on Twitter. Did you know that? Really? Yeah. I never ran into anybody. <laughs> Hold on. Google yourself. I, I, no, no, I, do, I just want to make sure because I, I changed mine a little while ago. So if anybody does want to see mine, it, the picture of the down the lane book is right there. And I think it says Doc in parentheses. It does. Doc's, Doc's in the middle because what happened yeah. was I was going solely by down the lane book because, again, yeah. not a big media guy, you know, trying to teach myself as it went through. And then a friend of mine said, don't change the whole thing. Leave it down the lane, how you have the little hashtag. So do that. But in the big letters, put your name. Yeah. And then a lot of other people came up and said, you should have had a pseudonym. You should have, well, it's too late to do that now. Yeah. So. But yeah, yeah, people want to look there. That's great. Uh, there's a lot of other fantastic offers out there. There's a lot of other links to different things. You know, I'm. you go to the bookstore, you want to pay 30, 40 bucks for a, a book. That's cool. But, you know, all kinds of different friends and connections and people I've met that sometimes it's free. Sometimes it's uh, 99 cents. I know I got a lot of, you were saying earlier about the free preview for mine. I promoted the heck out of that. And a lot of people, not a lot, but some people went and bought it just based on that. Yeah. Well, it was great. It's very interesting. No, it's great, man. Like I said, you know what? Hopefully I can uh, I can push the other one out. Whenever you're ready, I'd be more than happy to come on. Sounds good, brother. Sounds like a plan. Thanks for your time. Thank you. You have a great evening. You too. Bye-bye.